Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of So Important. As loyal listeners know, uh, we talk to many people about something that is interesting and important to them. For me, it has been a journey because I have met so many interesting people and learned so much about things that I wasn't really familiar with. That's the case today. My guest is Tom Morenda, and Tom knows orchids. Tom has worked with orchids for many, many years. He is well-known throughout the world for the work that he has done with orchids, and I am so pleased that Tom has agreed to be with me today. So, Tom, welcome to the show. It's entirely my pleasure. I have been fascinated by reading your biography and all the things that you've done, including writing a book. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and how you came to orchids? I've been fascinated with them since my childhood. My mother was uh, really wonderful. She she knew from a very early age that I would do something with plants and flowers because I was so enamored with them even as a toddler. So she fed that by getting me little books. And, and in fact, I have the little golden guide to orchids uh, from when I was probably six or seven years old, and I memorized that book, which is one of the reasons why I still can talk about all the different orchid genera and orchid species, because it's been ingrained in me since childhood. Well, I know there are a lot of orchid species out there. Can you talk about that a little bit, but also help us uh, appreciate what it is about orchids that you find so special? Most botanists would agree uh, that orchids are probably the most species-rich, the most biodiverse um, flowering plants, with upwards of 30,000 species, all of which are perfectly evolved and adapted for a very specific place, which is what makes them fascinating and what makes them incredibly diverse because they interact with so many other creatures on our planet. They're probably the most networked of of plants in every conceivable way from uh, mycorrhizal fungi to pollinators to many of them uh, you know live on trees and it's often a very specific tree there are several reasons why they seem to evoke such passion in people you know most flowers are what we would call radially symmetrical like a daisy and if we were starfish or uh, sea urchins we would find those really attractive but orchids are bilaterally symmetrical the way humans are and so when we look at an orchid and its zygomorphic bilateral symmetry it appears to have a personality a face that 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 we see when we look at an orchid and so that's one of the reasons why people are a little bit charmed by orchids is because they're because of that bilateral symmetry. The other thing about orchids is that they're masters of deception and manipulation. And um, their whole MO is to mimic something else, to appear like something they're actually not in order to tap into the hardwired behavior of animals in order to attract them to the, to the flowers. The, the example that, that most people um, take with them is uh, the example that we call pseudocopulation, where an orchid mimics uh, a, a young, ripe female insect, and naive young males will come to the flowers and try to mate with them, and in the process end up pollinating the flower, even though you know he hasn't moved his genes on at all. But he supposedly leaves the flower a little bit happier than when he arrived. There's there's a wonderful orchid from Australia where um, uh, there's a type of wasp where the female is ready to mate. She climbs up a blade of grass and puts out a pheromone. Then the male comes and finds her on the blade of grass, 
picks her up, clasps her, and flies off, mating on their honeymoon, flying around. But this orchid, of course, isn't isn't actually a female. So when uh, the male captures her and tries to fly off, the column, which is where the pollen is on the orchid flower, actually bonks him quite harshly on the head uh, so that he ends up taking pollen with him as he tries to fly off with her, but he can't. Now, you've told me that there are over 30,000 species. There are. And they all exhibit very similar behaviors, what you're saying. Um, no, they all exhibit completely different behaviors. And, uh, they're, they're, uh, that's what's so fascinating about orchids is this incredible diversity. For example, they say that daisies are, uh, might have more species, that, that family, the Asteraceae might have more species than orchids do, but almost all of them look alike and they almost all have the same pollination syndromes. Whereas in orchids, it's just infinitely diverse and fascinating, all the different systems that are involved in orchid pollination. So it's an endless source of fascination. Yeah, and it's so vast that there isn't really, you know, anyone that can know it all. It's and and they discover something like 5 or 600 new species every year. And so, you know, how do you keep up with with that? And and some of these orchids are are minuscule and pollinated by by gnats and so who's going to sit around and watch the pollination syndrome for 500 new species every year it's it's just a monumental task there's no one that can know it all do they grow all over the world orchids are um, on every continent except antarctica or antarctica there's actually three orchids that grow on an island just off of antarctica but there's hardly any flowering plants there so but every continent on earth literally every environment environment, even aquatic ones, um, have orchids that grow there. There are no orchids in the ocean. That's about the only place they haven't colonized. I understand that your specialty or your particular interest is in Latin America. The orchids there are uh, incredibly beautiful and, and fascinating and, and extremely diverse. I think it's just the fact that I've had the opportunity to, to be in that part of the world quite a bit more than, uh, I think it's equally rich and resonant in, in Southeast Asia. Now that I live in Hawaii, I hope to be able to explore the rest of the world a little bit more for orchids. Now you've worked extensively in the orchid field and you've also written quite a bit on orchids. Can you talk about that a little bit and in particular about the book that you co-authored? About, I guess it's been about 15 years now. I uh, approached the editor of Orchids Magazine. I had taken some writing classes and I wanted to, um, you know, contribute something. So I asked the, the editor, you know, what he needed for the magazine. And he told me that most of the readers want some kind of a checklist, you know, like what, what do you do for your orchids each month? And I thought, well, I can, I can take this on. And, um, and so, cause I'd been caring for a collection, actually collections of orchids, uh, for a private estate in Long Island for many, many years. And I took uh, the job, uh, caring for the collection at the Smithsonian. And so, so I had some experience with a wide variety and it was a pretty, good gig for me to do that. I think I developed a voice in my writing that has become really attractive to a lot of people. In fact, it's it's opened up a whole world to me in terms of speaking around the world. Um, people love my articles now, and I get invited to speak pretty much everywhere. It's very, very exciting for me. And so, I don't know, maybe it was about five or six years ago, I got an email from a publishing company in England who had 
seen my writing in Orchids and uh, asked if I would be willing to do a book for them. There was a, a bit of an issue with it in terms of it interfering with uh, my work at the time. I was still at the Smithsonian at this point. And so um, I didn't really have the time to complete this. Basically, it's an encyclopedia of Orchids. Uh, and it's a very, very beautiful book, very well illustrated, lots of great information. And they wanted a sort of a lively, enthusiastic writing style. You know, I, I think I had like a year to get it done and there was no way I was going to get the 600 species written. So the, the book was shared by two really fantastic scientists, really out of my league scholars that are doing DNA and things that are kind of beyond my ken. But, um, I feel in many ways doing a, a collaborative book like this is, you know, the the way to get a really good quality, a good quality publication. So I'm very proud of the way the book of Orchids has turned out. It's, it's entertaining. It's beautiful. It's, I think, very, very helpful to a lot of people. It's not really about growing the plants. It's more about their life histories and the things that make them fascinating. How's the response been? It's been mostly great. I, I think people like to give it as a gift um, to people in their lives that they either want to turn on to orchids or someone that they know that really likes orchids and it gives them information that you don't normally get in an orchid book. So yeah, it's it's been good. The only um, negative things I've heard is that uh, you know people would like the growing information in that book. There's lots and lots of books that tell you how to grow orchids. Well, there's your sequel. Yeah. There will be a link to the book in the show notes. It's available on Amazon and I'm yes. sure other sources too. Uh, you know, I, I do uh, often take books with me when I travel. And uh, so if you want a signed copy, uh, just uh, look at uh, where I'm going to be next. And I'll, I'll try and get that on a, a website or on my Facebook page soon enough. Well, let's talk about your traveling a little bit because that's what you do now. And who are the audiences you generally talk to and what are the kind of things that you discuss? I uh, have a wide variety of orchid talks. Uh, one of the great things about being asked to travel to wonderful exotic places to give talks about orchids or to advise about about uh, orchid projects is that it's great fodder for new presentations. I just got back from Incaterra, Peru. Uh, which is one of the best orchid gardens in the world. And orchid gardens are one of the things that I'm uh, trying to uh, promote. People think that, you know, an orchid garden is, isn't natural. Well, I beg to differ because at Incaterra, they've used only the native orchids of the region, which happen to be fascinating and really rich and diverse. There's hundreds and hundreds of species there, but they've been used in the landscaping around this hotel uh, to incredible effect. Uh, and and so their whole mission is about preserving the native plants of the region. And it, it's just worked out incredibly beautifully for them. Now, it could be that those plants in the region, and I, I actually know this is true, many places in the region and really all around the world are experiencing deforestation. Places are being repurposed for agriculture. Um, it's the actual natural habitats of these plants are dwindling, diminishing really, really a lot. So there's this worldwide trend right now to rescue the orchids that are being decimated by human activities and put them into repositories that are still close enough to their natural habitat that they can survive with minimal care, with minimal intervention by, by humans. And I believe personally that this is 
one of the keys toward their survival through climate change is for us to take the, these wonderful, valuable plants and their cohort, all of their companion plants and animals and uh, insects, all of those things, and have them in these repositories where we can look at them more closely, investigate their life histories, and protect them. Can you talk a little bit more about the impacts of climate change on the orchid community? One of the reasons reasons why there's so many species of orchids is that a good proportion of them are what we call highly endemic. They live in a very specific place, particular elevation and a particular little nook in, you know, a fissure in, in a mountain near a river. And as temperatures rise or a, an area adjacent to them becomes deforested, the climate changes due to these human activities insecticides, crops, uh, all these things affect the populations of, of orchids. You know, if there's no pollinators left because the field next door where they're growing corn um, has been treated with a pesticide, a lot of the pollinators that you want to keep around uh, end up being decimated by that. So um, as the climate changes, as human activity happens, these very, very specific, very exacting conditions that where an orchid has evolved ends up hurting that environment to the point where the, the plant really can't survive it. When temperatures rise, you know, those of us that grow orchids know that, you know, we have cooler growing ones that are from the high mountains. The only thing an orchid can do since they're attached to a substrate, whether it be a tree or the ground or whatever, animals can migrate, move around. Plants have a harder time adjusting to changing conditions. So a cool growing plant as the climate changes needs to go higher up the mountain and higher and higher uh, as as the temperature changes a degree or two. It's, uh, it's enough to really hurt its chances of survival. We believe that by keeping them in these, uh, these like garden style repositories, we can watch them and we can enhance Mother Nature's horticulture by caring somewhat for these plants uh, and, and making sure that they, they survive. Well, you are, you are raising awareness of this, but you also have concrete ideas about what to do about them, and you're helping to make those ideas happen. One of the things that I'm uh, trying to promote um, around the world now is uh, what I call the Orchid Garden Conservation Network. The gardens are the key to keeping these plants safe and keeping them alive through climate change. I've been traveling the world, visiting orchid gardens, visiting people's collections, particularly in Latin America, and seeing what they have. I want to make alliances with botanical gardens and with universities around the world, getting their horticulturists and their graduate students to go and visit these private collections, cataloging the plants that are there so that we, we know, we know what we have. And I think that as, as a consortium, we'll have a little bit more ability to raise funds to help this. Uh, you know, I envision that these graduate students will get college credits. They're the future generation of orchid conservationists that we want to nurture. Um, I'm also uh, now the the chair of the American Orchid Society's Conservation Committee. We fund conservation projects in various parts of the world. We're about to fund um, three new orchid gardens, really grassroots efforts in Peru and uh, Ecuador and Colombia. Uh, and hopefully, uh, I'm trying to build an endowment for this uh, conservation fund so that maybe we can have a wider effect around the world. And so, uh, 
those of you that are listening to this that think this is something worthwhile, I hope that you'll contribute to the our conservation endowment at the American Orchid Society. And there's a way to do that in through the American Orchid Society. Absolutely. Tom, you're doing great work, and this has been absolutely fascinating, and I want to really thank you for being with me today. Well, I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Good to see you. Same here.